This episode of Holy Cannoli has some grown-up words that might not be appropriate for little ears. You've been warned. (laughs) (laughs) All right, hey, it's episode 10, everybody. Episode 10, honey. Wow, good job. We've got 10 episodes episodes in the can. Boom. It's been fun. Did you think it was going to be as fun as it is? No. Okay. What do you think? Um, I had no idea <laughs> what a holy cannoli podcast was going to sound like week after week. I love it. It's great. It's so great, in fact, mm-hmm. that I can walk around town with a holy cannoli oh. t-shirt. Whoa, segue girl right here. That <laughs> and was... guess what, listeners? You can too. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, honey? So if you go to the holy cannoli, where should they go? Facebook page? Yeah, I go to Facebook page. You can see a link to buy t-shirts that support the podcast. They say holy cannoli in cute retro font. You get to choose a variety of colors. You could choose V-neck, crew neck, sweatshirts. Um, and I think on the back it says hashtag holy cannoli podcast. I think you're right. You, a by little... the way, are responsible for the font. I want you to know podcast uh, addicts, listeners, <laughs> strangers, friends, that uh, there was going to be a whole different shirt. And I have to admit that Wendy overruled and I'm admitting and confessing because it's better. Thank you. <laughs> it's good. Like, and the only, what were you like? I was like, let's make it a little more <laughs> retro-y and not well, so. Uh, what was wrong with mine? It wasn't retro. Okay. Whatever I, it was. It was just oh, whatever. boring. Okay. Well, thanks, Steve. <laughs> uh, they are only 20 bucks. 20 bucks or 22 bucks for the V-necks and the sweatshirt's 40 but I think that's a pretty good deal. 20 bucks for a t-shirt and it helps us uh, a little bit get a little extra so we can put toward the podcast. And besides just that, we're not really trying to make money here. We just want people to have these cool shirts. I actually ordered three of them <laughs> because the tri blend, they're so comfy. So get them before they go out. There's only 12 more days left to buy them. So if you're listening to this after August 15th or whenever, something like that, then they're gone. Sorry. <laughs> Get them all you can. Okay, so episode 10, this is a part two. Part two for my conversation with Matt Nightingale. I hope you all are being encouraged by it and challenged. I, there's still so much to talk about Matt with. He'll be on again. But if you want to tweet at us, uh, me, Tony Gapastone, or Matt at Matt Nightingale, engage with us, especially on Twitter. Or if you're on the Facebook page, you can put questions there. We've got some quotes from the podcast uh, every week that we put up there from whoever's our guest or from the conversation we're talking about. And we welcome dialogue around this stuff. And we hit uh, 200 listeners. So thank awesome. you guys for listening on the podcast. It's really cool. and sharing yes. and reviewing. And retweeting <laughs> and holy cannoli-ing. Okay, that's Enjoy. it. Next one. Here we go. Listening to the Holy Cannoli Podcast. It's all about making sense of life, who we are, and why we're here. Life is sacred and life is strange. And here's our dad, Tony Gappas. Okay, here we are, episode two, to continue this conversation. Uh, we were talking about last time as you were going through your new identity and accepting yourself, and you and your wife were parting ways. Your coming out was not an easy experience by any means. Can you talk about that? How that impacted you in the 
Christian world and your personal family connections with your own children? Yeah, sure. So we were talking last episode about kind of the steps that happened on the way to where I am today. And I was talking about kind of these, these different moments, you know, first realizing I would never change. Secondly, kind of accepting the label of gay and being okay with it. The next thing for me was, was coming to an affirming theology while still knowing that for me, it was going to be wrong to act on it because I was married and because I was in this committed relationship and a pastor and all these things. And I was in a denomination where we could not affirm gay sexuality as a, as a clergy member. So in the denomination that we were a part of, if you are a gay person, what are the expectations? The same as they are for a single straight person. Um, celibacy, what do they call it? Um, celibacy and singleness, fidelity and in, in marriage between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. So if you're gay, you're not getting any. <laughs> or, or, you're, or you're in a relationship with a woman. And you, know? you, couldn't, you, you couldn't get married. No, you couldn't be. You couldn't be gay married. You could be straight married, yeah. but not not. Married I always wondered. So part of my evolution <laughs> came when, you know, my um, wife's cousins, who I love dearly, are in this awesome marriage. They have three boys, mm-hmm. and I always like would bring up this conversation with people who held to this understanding because as my evo- my uh, you know theology evolved, I was asking what would we expect of Amy mm-hmm. and Serena to yep. follow Christ or any gay couple who was quote unquote already married. Cause yeah. I always had this freedom to say, God loves everyone. God loves gay people. Yep. But really like underneath that, I would probably have to say God loves gay abstinent people and gay married people or gay people who are engaging in gay sex would have to stop and get divorced and right. whatever. I mean, you would say that they are loved by God. You've They're always loved said by that, God. But sure. they couldn't follow Jesus as a true disciple of Christ yeah. unless they were giving up their sinful behaviors, which for you at the time would have been, you know, gay sex, gay marriage. I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Yeah, I always wondered that too. I would ask people, you know, before I was out, but I was kind of like starting to become kind of a vocal ally. And I, I would say like, so are they supposed to get divorced? Yeah. What do you expect of them? Are they, do they just not sleep together? (laughs) I don't know. What do you, what, what would be godly for this couple Mm -hmm. to do? Do Mm -hmm. they leave their children with divorced parents? Mm -hmm. Is that good? Is that a good thing? Um, and often I get met with just, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. A lot of people don't quite have answers. Yeah, we don't. So um, how did it affect you? I know you received uh, lots of messages, uh, you know, wh- whether it be Facebook, you know, social media, sure. email. You had to leave your position with the church. Yeah. You were a part of a different church. Yeah. So when I, when I came out, it was very calculated. I knew what I was doing. I didn't know, honestly, what it would actually be like. You know, it's all, it was all... Um, kind of, uh, I don't know what the word is. It, it was a prototype. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I had an idea of what it would be like, you yeah. know, it w- but I didn't, I didn't Did it involve rainbows and, uh, pride parades, <laughs> you uh, dancing down, uh, Castro underwear. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> in fact, I was pretty like, I had, I had an idea of the kind of gay Christian I was going to be. And that's another story, but, um, so you're not that gay Christian today. I probably not. No, okay. I'm not today who I imagined I would be. Yeah. But are we ever like, you know, I didn't know what this would be like, but, um, but yeah. And my, and just to be, to be very transparent, but also fair to her, my wife has been, my ex-wife, my former wife has been very 
understanding on many levels. She watched me live through this for 15 years, and she walked with me through it for 15 years. And so she today is 100% affirming. She she celebrates LGBTQ people. She's not at all um, concerned theologically about this. But in her own marriage, it was very, very hard and sad to to go through a divorce. She did not want that, and I'm the one who chose that. Mm-hmm. So I am often very careful to say that because I want it to be clear that I chose this. And and it was harmful and destructive in many mm-hmm. ways. It it took a, a marriage of you know 23 years and and ended it. Mm-hmm. It took. Uh, a stable family away from four children and a wife um, and we've had to learn and grow and change and, and it's been hard it's been fucking hard mm. <laughs> but like harder than I ever 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 imagined it's been horrible and I still to this day think it's worth it and I think ultimately will prove to be worth it but yeah it was hard and we, we kind of knew some things about what to expect like I knew I would have to resign my position in the church I was in I knew I would have to resign my ministry credentials in my denomination. I knew I'd have to find another way of making money uh, to support my family. Uh, I, you know, I knew eventually I'd move out of the house. I, I don't know. There's all these things that were kind of like, I don't know, ideas of what was to come, but I didn't know how they would feel actually in real life. Um, and that is sad. That is sad to think about the dissolution of a of a marriage uh, and a family. So sad. And I know. I mean, I only walked through a. Yeah, from a, a, a point with you, but yeah. I remember like lots of conversations this were so heavy Ugh. with you and you know your processing and yeah. give such credit to Luann, your ex-wife, and mm-hmm. how she carried herself. But I appreciate uh, that. Yeah. In some way, I mean, I hope it's okay to say. In some way, it's like you're saying this. She would have been okay with this mixed orientation mm-hmm. marriage simply yep. because being connected and staying with her best friend and partner yeah. of 23 years, yeah. uh, that was a better decision or road than the pain yes. of the divorce. Yep. Because we both knew going into the divorce that there's no guarantee of happiness on the other side for mm-hmm. either one of us. We mm-hmm. both could like imagine and dream of relationships that were mutual and compatible and whatever, but there's no guarantee of that, mm-hmm. you know? And, and you, you lived together in separate rooms uh, for how long? Yeah, afterward? several months. Yeah. Um, I came out in this publicly in the summer of 2016 and then I finally moved out of the house in February of 2017. So that was, you know, yeah, seven months ago. or yeah, something wow. in the same house. Mm-hmm. And it got harder and harder to live in the same house because just for a lot of different sure, reasons. But sure. we ultimately I moved out and, um, you know, and I still live in the same town. I try to see my kids as often as I can. Luann and I are friendly. Um, but again, it's been hard and I don't want to ever gloss over that. I don't want to be like, this has been the easiest thing and we're both just best of friends because it's not like that. It's yeah. sad and hard even mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, the, the kind of reaction in the church has been fascinating. You know, I, I'm a really well-networked kind of person and I had, mm-hmm. before this all happened, a big community of like worship leaders in my denomination. And I'm not saying that I was like central to that community, but I was in some ways. And I had started that community in some ways on Facebook. I was the moderator of a very large uh, Facebook group of worship leaders that continues to this day, as far as I know. And um, it, it it was actually pretty cool. And I remember being on the cover of the magazine of our <laughs> denomination, like just about a year before With I came With your out. finger over your yes, lips. Which was Silent so, Matt, right? Wasn't yeah, that called? Looking back on it, it's unbelievable. But Oh, yeah, so I, I was at least well known, you know, and and I think well loved. I loved 
this community of people. I was mm-hmm. very, I loved the denomination. But over the years, I, I had been slowly coming out to more and more people. They had been aware of my evolution, some of my, dear, my closest friends in the denomination. And there's a whole contingent of pastors in the denomination who are secretly affirming. You know, I'm not going to out them on this podcast, even though I should. I'm kidding. But they, you know, many, and, and most of them, it's not a secret. Their mm-hmm. churches are much more affirming. They are kind of making waves in, in the annual meetings. You know, they're trying to get people to become more affirming. I mean, we've had recently pastors, you know, have to leave their jobs because they're doing gay marriages or whatever. So a lot of these people are friends of mine and they knew what was happening and they were supportive and encouraging as I was going through this. They knew when it was coming, they're praying for me, they're messaging me all the time. And that was, that was really important to me and helpful. But when I did come out, it was a big thing. And I'll never forget, um, this big email going out to our church, um, on a Friday at 5 PM, you know, mm. and, and my wife and I knew that it was coming. It was this hard, nervous day knowing that this was going to happen. And it was over at that point. There's, there's no going back once yeah. this goes out. And it came and went. And I remember waking up the next morning on a Saturday morning in my bed and just grinning from ear to ear when I realized for the first time in my life, I didn't have to, I didn't have to pretend anymore. All I had to do was tell the truth. That's it. And it was, it just, everything became so uncomplicated in that moment. Like I don't have to worry about who knows. I don't have to worry about who knows how much, mm-hmm. nothing. It's just, now I just get to live my life. Mm-hmm. And there was a real joy and freedom in that, even considering all the pain that was to come. I mean, I have lost so, so many friends over this and I don't blame them. I don't, I understand. Mm. They don't know how to respond to me. They have their deeply held theological convictions and they think I made a terrible choice and they think I have kind of renounced whatever faith I had and and they're very, very sad about it. But I've had, it's been so interesting, especially in those first six months, you know, kind of trying to still be in relationship with some of these folks having some hard conversations, they feeling the need to like correct me or, or, uh, confront me maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and there wasn't a ton of that. Most people have been at least polite, mm-hmm. you know, while, while holding their own convictions, but several, you know, had to have conversations with me. And I remember a couple stand out one person, you know, so well-meaning and loving, but, but just so like, and, and a lot of people would be like, well, I mean, I guess it's okay that you're gay, but the whole divorce thing, I mean, they really had trouble with that. And I understand that it is sad and hard. Like I'm never like, yay, divorce ever. Um, But, but there are a lot of divorced people in the church that were super graceful toward and accepting, even though sometimes people use scripture in a way that really ostracizes divorced people. At one point to get divorced in the church was like the end all be all. Like you were just bi. Yeah. You you couldn't take communion in the Catholic church. There's lots of, couldn't be an elder in, in a lot of churches. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. In fact, there's an essay this is a, an aside, but one of the best defenses of um, gay marriage in the church is by a, an author. He's not with us anymore. His name is Lewis Smeads, and he was an ethicist and I think Southern Baptist, I think. He sounds like someone off The Simpsons. Smeads. Lewis, Lewis Smeads. Smeads. Yes. But he was a very, very good um, the theologian and mm-hmm. writer, and he actually spoke at our denomination's midwinter conference one year, I remember. Um, hmm. But anyway, he has a, an article that talks about the way evangelicalism finally began to overlook divorce and accept it and, and allow people to serve and be in the church, even divorce. And he says, there's no reason we can't do that with gay people. Yeah. And it was a really cool, uh, article. Well, anyway. I'll tell you what, some of those discussions 
have really helped me and challenged me in so many ways with my understanding of inclusion and accepting all people, LGBTQ, uh, people of color, women. I mean, there was, there was a time, you know, 20 some years ago, well, even the church that I was just a part of, we would still have people walk out when a woman would step into the pulpit to speak because of the way that they would interpret scripture. And I think these discussions that we're having right now around LGBTQ remind me that the Bible was used at um, different junctures in you know our history to oppress or keep out certain people. So even the fact that you just said divorced people, mm-hmm. women, uh, people of color, right? The, the Bible was used to enslave people. And so that has been part of my just challenge over the past. I've been following Christ 25 years, but really the past 10 years plus of me trying to figure out how do I read scripture? How do I understand the kingdom of God and who's allowed to be a part of it? And, you know, the journey of walking with you and seeing what you have gone through has really been a huge part of that. Because when you came out, when you were, you know, divorcing your wife, leaving your church, I was a part of this large church organization and we had to have meetings around you <laughs> about me. You, know, know. you weren't even on staff so like, funny. for like eight years and yeah. we were having meetings because you were such a, a fixture. Your yeah. name, Matt Nyinga yeah. was such a part of the denomination and church yes. that I was a part of. So we had to have meetings about what does the church think about? Right. What do we do Matt? now? What do we do? How do we handle these conversations? How do we talk about him? Yeah. What if people ask us about this? For sure. And, mm-hmm. and I, I know people, I mean, it's funny because we've been friends for so long uh, and I even joke like you're my gay best friend. Yep. Um, GBFF. GBFF. Yeah. <laughs> 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 hashtag hashtag GBFF. Yes. Um, there were there were people who definitely knew we were still connected, and I you know I remember distinctly I got a text from someone who I who I value, mm-hmm. who said I'm I'm waiting to see your response toward Matt. I think you yep. need to make a public response on Facebook. Yep. Praying that you, like, I remember this distinctly, praying that you stand on the scriptures mm. or the word of God. So you stand on the word of God during this time. And I just said, you know, thanks for your prayer. I replied back. I was, what were you looking for? But then I had, and I know what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, and then I had face-to-face conversations where people were just really clear with me about warning me that it wouldn't be okay for me to take a stand with you, right. uh, to support you, to be public about what I thought. And at that time, honestly, when you, you know, were working through it, I was still trying to figure out what I thought. Yeah. I was wanting to be supportive of you, mm-hmm. loved you. Um, you know, I was more about don't get divorced. I think I said that you at one did. point. Yeah, I think I, I said don't get divorced for mm-hmm. the kids or something, yeah, I think I said. You were really sad about that. Yeah, and, and super sad, yeah. For good reason. I mean, For I always sure. am like, yeah, divorce sucks. It's awful. Yeah, I so. was speaking as a child of divorce, yeah. too. You yep. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't about the fact that you were gay. Right. I was more concerned about divorce hurts. So I was really having to come to terms with what do I think? How do I navigate through this? I would always, you know, and the interesting part, oh, my gosh, as this was happening, I had another good friend who was in um, a heterosexual marriage, mm-hmm. who was uh, leaving or who was separated from his wife because he was cheating on her and was you know, basically talking about leaving her. And I was navigating through you and Luann who were working through your things in a very different way. And yeah. then this guy and his wife working through things in a very different way. And I was trying to stand with both of you. And it's so funny, this, this heterosexual marriage, the guy was saying like, you know, can we, I just want to hang out. I still want to be friends with you. But I was going, you're cheating on your wife. 
And he actually used, but I see you standing with your friend Matt. Mm -hmm. You're not excommunicating him. And I was trying to say, I'm not excommunicating you either. I'm just trying to say, you're cheating on your wife and you're mistreating her. It was just this wild time. We're not even connected anymore, this yeah. guy, because of how painful it was. Mm. So it was a really weird, hard time. Um, you know, and now that I'm on the other side of being employed by this, you know, uh, Christian organization and I get to talk about these things, I'm actually going, like you said earlier on the first podcast that we did last time, I am breathing like, okay, mm -hmm. I can talk about these things. Yeah. I can post my thoughts on Facebook. I can be affirming yep. of the LGBTQ community. I've always been, you know, for years, but I was actually intentionally told, please don't express some of your mm -hmm. thoughts on Facebook. Um, there was one time I led a prayer walk in our city with some of our staff from our church. And one of my good friends is a lesbian and she's married to a woman and they have this photography studio downtown. We've worked together a lot and we were passing by her studio and she came out. She's super nice. I'm just going to shout out to my friend, Aaron Ashford, Aaron Ashford photography. Hey, Aaron. And, uh, she, I, I, she was doing her thing. I introduced her to some of our staff and I said, Hey, we're doing a prayer walk. Can we pray for you? And, you know, I know, here we go, right? And so yeah. I prayed for her and her wife, and I blessed her marriage, mm. right? And I got some blowback a little bit from that, like some concern for me mm -hmm. that I had blessed a gay marriage. Yeah. And I had someone approach me and say, hey, people are wondering, like this is the word, people are wondering if you're, oh, was, oh shoot, if you're on the same boat, if, we're, if you're on the same page with us theologically. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't know if I feel safe to even say that I'm questioning or wondering. Right. I don't think I am. Mm -hmm. And that was my response. And so the feedback that I got was, well, you can definitely have your questions and figure out you just can't be public about it if you're going to keep your ordination or keep your job here. So I was like, wow, I was kind of against the wall in that, which was a really hard thing. And, and to the listeners, you know, I'm not bashing anyone or anything. I'm saying this was a very uh, difficult struggle. Um, people who knew I was friends with you that were also affirming would come up and say, like, I love like, my friend Ernestine Hoyt. Who's this, the <laughs> yes. best. She's 80 something years old. I love Ernestine. And she would be like all for you, you Matt on yeah. Facebook. Yeah. And I just thought that's <laughs> the type of Christian I want to be, but I get it when people get afraid, you know, like you text me one time, fear is so powerful, yeah. right? So the fear of going, am I going to dishonor God? Am I mm -hmm. going to go to hell because of what I believe? Yeah. Is someone, am I sending someone to hell? Yep. I mean, this gets super messy too in regards to our youth and trying to figure oh, out man. with our youth. And so talk a little bit about that as you've gone Ooh. through your journey. You did a TED Talk. You've now become sort of this gay Yoda. <laughs> You're coaching people. You've seen other men and women come out of marriages. Oh, for and, sure. I mean, talk about that Dozens. a little bit. Yeah, so my wife and I had this really cool opportunity. You know, I look back now, it's so weird because it was very early. I came out in the summer of 2016, and then in November, so just a couple months later, Luann and I together did a TED Talk, and we called it um, Choosing Gratitude and Hope. Because, And then we just told a you know 14-minute version of our story, and then said as we are, you know, we're trying to separate, we're trying to end our marriage in a loving way, and, and it would be easy to regret the past, but it's um, but we are tr trying rather to choose gratitude for all the good mm -hmm. that that happened in 23 years, so good. and and hope for a better future for each of us and our family. Um, so anyway, this TED Talk has, you know, I don't think there's like 8,000 views now on YouTube or something, and I can't tell you the number of people who 
find me on Facebook, find Luann on Facebook. Uh, and I always, you know, I hope it's okay that I'm contacting you. I saw your TED talk and I thought, you know, I thought I was the only one. Mm -hmm. So there's like dozens in the last two years. And, and some have become very good friends of mine. I've been able to connect them with other people like us. And some have chosen to stay in marriages. Some are divorcing. Some do it gracefully. Some do it horribly. And I get so frustrated with them because mm -hmm. they just kind of blow up their lives. I mean, I blew up my mm -hmm. life. But you can do it worse than I did. You blew up your life as best as you possibly could. I did. Is that a way to yeah, say it? Yeah, it's a horrible thing. Like, I, it, it's, it still was destructive. Yeah. But, I, but we tried to do it as gracefully as possible. I look at it like you sometimes you have to break a bone to set it and to make it heal. Mm. You know, you have to mm. re-break a bone. And, and that's kind of the way I had to look at it. Cause I don't, I don't step on a, a bug because I don't want to hurt anybody. You know, I'm like a big soft hearted guy who does never wants anyone to feel pain of any kind. And so to know that I was going to bring this pain into my wife's and my kids lives was very, very hard for me. And I had to really kind of steal myself and make myself do it believing deeply that it actually was for the, the greater good ultimately. So anyway, I've, I've had these relationships with these guys kind of coming out of their marriages and coming out of their kind of fundamentalist Christian backgrounds and it's been interesting. And then another thing that I see that is so compelling to me, I see gay kids um, and whether they know they're gay or not, I do, <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I do. And sometimes I'll hear that they're gay and sometimes there's one in particular I'm thinking of who who has chosen for whatever reason to kind of toe the line and try to like get counseling and he's dating girls. And I'm just like, Oh no, please don't. But I don't really feel like I can jump in. But I've often said like, if he ever gets engaged, I am going to call him mm. and just call him out because I, he doesn't know what he's doing, you know? And I was there and I don't want to see him repeat what I lived through. I think it's sad mm. if he does. So let's talk about, like let's that. talk about that because yeah. You know, when I was in this official role as a pastor, mm -hmm. I would definitely get into a lot of conversations about, you know, people's sexuality. And because I had my own story, yeah. you know, I would say, like, there was some confusion. I didn't quite feel like a man. And that mm -hmm. was my journey of I was also bullied in this way, right? Mm -hmm. So there's all these different variations. But you would say to some... So and I would ask you, hey, there's a kid who's coming to me who literally said, this is what he thinks, you know, but he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to be gay, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. um, and then how do you know when someone, you know, the age of someone? And mm. I, I'm still walking through that. Like, how do I, I'm trying to talk with my kids about, yeah. um, you know, trans, yeah. what that means to be trans, because I, that's the world we live in. Yeah. And how do we do it in a way that is honoring and valuing to someone as Jesus would value them? So talk a little bit about, let's, let's talk to the parent. Of a uh, of a gay child, or what does that even mean? Do they know they have a gay child? Are they wondering? Yeah. And then you can talk to the teen uh, who might be listening to this, or the college student who might try to figure out, well, how do what do I do with my same sex, you know, attraction, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I don't, that's hard. I mean, it's like a lot of responsibility. You know? It is a lot of because it's almost like the fear that I had is how do I <laughs> yeah. how do I knight? I felt like Gandalf, like you yes. are gay, young yes. child. Yes. I guess from my own experience. I knew that I knew that I knew from the time I was 10 years old, I was gay. Mm -hmm. And, and it was only kind of the culture around me, both just where I lived geographically, plus my family, plus my kind of fundamentalist church I was a part of that, that stopped me from, I guess, acting on it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and not owning it. Um, 
but I knew it. I mean, from the time I was very young. And, and so sometimes I have a hard time believing, like, sometimes people will be like, I realized I was gay when I was 37. And I'm like, wait a minute, come on, really? You haven't had sexual attractions until you're 37? So, I, but I don't want, every person's story is his or her own, and I don't ever want to, like, invalidate their story. So I, I can't compare everyone to me is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But I do think, in general, if a teenager who is past puberty comes to you and says, I am feeling sexual attraction for boys or for someone of my same gender, I, I tend to believe them. Like, I just feel like this is pretty clear cut mm. to me. Uh, straight boys who are 16 are definitely thinking about girls and boobs and you, masturbating. You, they are into girls. Like, they just are. They're pimply and they're horny and they're into girls. And so a, a 16, 17-year-old boy who comes and says, I'm having some feelings, even if they're like, I mean, I think I'm kind, because they're scared to say it. Yeah. But I feel like if they're admitting to you that they have sexual feelings towards someone of their same sex, you can pretty much go, okay, I believe you. Yes, mm-hmm. this is true. Why would they make that up? Why? I think for anybody who's listening who's a Christian or who, who's in a church community yeah. who professes faith in Christ and reads scripture and tries to live their life in this way, I think that pronouncement is a pronouncement of death. Honestly, I think people are really afraid of that. And I was too. I don't, because I'm still wrestling through, you know, these identities as we talked Mm. about in the last episode. What Mm -hmm. does that mean? But we're in this place in the culture where we are seeing more and more healthy examples Mm -hmm. of sexuality, more and more um, voices like Matthew Vines and other, who are the other popular? Justin Lee. Okay. Kevin Garcia, many like okay. gay Christian <laughs> okay, yeah. bloggers and writers Kevin, and gay, personalities. Gay men and women who Brett are Trapp. speaking out. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which is so great to mm-hmm. have these people who are sharing their stories and who are making the face of LGBTQ faithful people yeah. more accessible. Yeah, check out the hashtag faithfully LGBT on Twitter. Um, it's a it's awesome. And there's this whole we talk about queer Christian Twitter and uh-huh. it's like a great community. Mm-hmm. And you, if you're on Twitter, it's a it's a great place. Um, and I have made so many good friends and kind of mm-hmm. found community and life there. Yeah. So to, to tell the Twitter story real quick back when I was um, oh, yeah. still kind of considering, do I do this or do I not? Um, I knew that I was 100 percent affirming on the inside. I knew it would be OK for me to be gay, but I was still very hesitant to come out and like break up my marriage and all this so I I needed I'm such an extrovert I needed like people to process with so I created this anonymous Twitter account and blog and the Twitter handle is another gay hubby <laughs> I don't know where that came from but I called him Jonathan David too which is a great in joke if you know anything about scripture and gay people but um Jonathan David. because people think Jonathan and David were gay oh they totally were but anyway they were <laughs> David loved Jonathan more than he loved women. The scripture itself says that. So figure out. You, you can take that. Mind boggled. <laughs> I'm losing listeners. I'm kidding. I don't even know. But I'm just saying that wouldn't surprise me. But anyway. Um, uh, yeah, so Jonathan David. We like to think they were gay. How's that? That was your name. My name is Jonathan David. Uh, Does this blog know. still exist? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I only posted like four or five posts, but they were really heavy and really significant, really honest and... And I, I began to meet people through that, and my, one of my best friends now 
found me on Twitter and we, we like ended up um, one of your best. Oh, got you. Yeah, he didn't know who you were, but found you, and now you're really close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We became like best friends. We've traveled okay. together, all kinds of stuff. Well, this is. Can we say his name? This is Bruce. Pass oh, the Bruce, hi, Bruce on Twitter. Bruce Gamble. Um, yeah. So, so Twitter, gay Christian Twitter, I guess, okay. has been a, a big thing for me, and uh-huh. it, it definitely changed my life. Um, yeah, but back to like the the death sentence. You know, we were talking about. Um, yeah. Wow. I, I I'll never forget how scary it was to utter those words for the first time out loud, I'm gay. You know, I said them to my friend John and it was, and I had written them in a journal, so I couldn't even say it. I had to like look down at my journal and read it yeah. out loud to him. Uh, and then to say it to my wife and to others, every time it got a little easier though and it felt a little better to just say it, you know, and to, to be where I am now, you know, 15 years later, it's unbelievably mm. <laughs> freeing. I just, I, I have a joy about me mm-hmm. because uh, I can just say it. I'm gay. What? I'm gay, and it's okay. And I can talk about it, and I'm not hiding it. I don't have to hang my head in shame and say, "Ah, oh, I struggle with same-sex attraction," you know, which was this horrible, perverted thing, right? And people's eyes would bug out, and they'd be like, "Oh, oh, okay. Well, I'm gonna be here for you. It's okay, you know." Uh-huh. God bless them. They were amazing, but yeah, but it was just this big, gross, dirty, weird thing. And oh my God, what are we gonna do? Um, so, what do you say to the people who are listening to this? Who <laughs> are concerned or are probably going to message me yeah. and say, Tony, why are you talking about this? Why are you affirming this? Yeah. How would you encourage, and you're still encouraging me. I'm still learning, right? <laughs> well, I am too. Okay. To so honest. how are you, how would you encourage the church, the Christian, the faithful person, maybe the person who doesn't care about Jesus, but yeah. it's still weirded out by the gay community. <laughs> gay you know, what would, what would you say? Oh man. I would just say, I think one of the things that I would encourage, and I always do, is to listen to people and to to be open to other people's experiences and don't invalidate them from the beginning. Like, mm. listen to the TED Talk. Read, uh, read um, Justin Lee's book called Torn. It is so compelling and powerful. And it's just a story of a Christian kid. Like, evangelicals will recognize him. They'll be like, oh, yeah, that was me. But, but you see that he's different, you know, and you, you begin to go, oh, wow. Um, like, believe us when we say that we love Jesus and we're trying our very best to be faithful Christians given our reality, you know. Um, uh, I often, like, encourage people to put themselves in our place, maybe, and imagine being 22 or 19 and kind of realizing something about yourself that is now going to make you like have to be celibate and single the rest of your life mm. in order to be faithful to God. And you have to choose this and you have to make sure that you never, ever like, like I was talking with a friend about this this morning um, who had a friend come out to her and she just said, she's so sad because like she's single herself, but she at least has the hope that at any moment, Mr. Wright could walk into her life and she could have all these things she's been dreaming of all these years. She could have companionship and love and sex down the road and, and marriage and children, you know. But for the young gay person in the Christian community who comes out into a, a more um, conservative perspective on sexuality, what you're saying is you at 19 now are committed to a life of of singleness, you know, mm. and and you never ever can have that. You can't have the romantic walk in the park. You can't hold hands with somebody. You can't kiss somebody. You can't have a marriage and a wedding. You can't have kids. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you 
to be faithful to God, yeah. you are committing yourself to no sex, to no mm. romance, to no love in that way. You are. Now you can, and, and if you do slip into that, then you live with shame and anxiety and you have to confess it and you have to repent and you have to turn. And it, it's a hard, hard life for people who choose celibacy and singleness. And I will say some do. There are lots of gay people who are Christians who choose celibacy because they believe that God does not affirm same-sex relationships. Well, I think that's the nun life. That's the the monk. That's the mm-hmm. that's the call that Jesus is supposed to be most important, right? I mean, yeah. and there is a validity in that in yeah. some way to deny yourself, yeah, right? Totally. right? I mean, so there is something to be said about people, uh, whether it's your sexuality or your dreams or whatever, mm-hmm. that pursuing Jesus is the the reason why we're here, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so when you, when people hear that, I think that's what bristles in them that it's just not about the pleasures of this world. So what do you say to that? Well, I say that's easy for straight people to say. <laughs> I do, and it makes me angry, to be uh-huh, honest. Uh-huh. When I hear straight people, when I, he- when I see these conservative, happily married, sure, sure. straight pastors with their beautiful children, gotcha. and they're like, this is just pick up your cross and follow Jesus. I mean, come yeah. on. And I want to say, screw you. I want to use worse language than that, to be honest. Because they, how dare they tell, sure. you know, tell me or someone else to just pick up their cross and just deal with it. You know, Mm -hmm. there is no comparison. Mm -hmm. Um, and yes, I still can affirm that following Jesus is, is central. And, but I would say based on what I've come to understand and believe about reality that coming, like following Jesus with half of my identity is not as significant or as whole or fulfilling as following Jesus as my true self. And so, um, I don't know. That's that's a lot of yeah. stuff. Identity issues. Um, but you just you have experienced God. You have experienced God in this in this way that you never thought you would. And it, you know we need we're gonna have to have a bunch of more conversations. <laughs> I'll come back about this for sure because your faith has deconstructed and evolved and changed and yeah. grown and it's starting over yeah, in a lot of in ways. A lot of ways yep. And I you know, the reason I wanted to start this podcast was partly because of that. I don't even have the word besides deconstruction. It's kind of becoming a trendy word right now, but I'm trying to figure it out too, being on the other side of this vocational job Mm -hmm. that I was quote unquote ordained to do is now, how do I follow Jesus in this way, in this chapter of my life? And so I just, you know, I appreciate so much the, the pain that you shared and the frustration and the honesty but I've watched you experience God. I've experienced God with you in mm-hmm. these strange, strange yes. ways, in yes. ways that seem scary to a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, if we have time, I want to yeah, say something quick about that. Sure. I, um, I will say that, like, I have two things today are more true for me, and and they are one is joy. I have more actual, real, deep down joy in my life. Another is peace, mm-hmm. and. You know, I can almost hear fundamentalists or evangelicals now say, "Well, that's a false peace. That's a false joy," because that's the narrative that they're taught. Is that if 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 I'm saying I feel peace, it's got to be a lie. It has to be somehow deceptive. But I feel like I I don't know. In my own experience, I believe it's true. I believe I'm experiencing the peace that passes understanding, the peace that God is bringing me as I as I surrender. There's a song called um, "Multiplied" by uh, uh, Need to Breathe, and I know they didn't write it like. To, to, to be this way, but the, the chorus says, God of mercy, sweet love of mine, I have surrendered to your design. And mm. I remember kind of like reinterpreting that in my mind as a gay man going, oh, 
I'm surrendering now, finally. I'm stopping fighting what has always been true about me, and I'm, I'm actually just surrendering to it. And the peace and joy that that has brought me is unbelievable. Mm. This is, and there's a couple, like, I've seen God in places that I didn't expect to see him. I, I believe I was lied to. I think it was well-intentioned lying, but it was lying mm. nonetheless. Like, I remember... You know, I was in, on the peninsula in Redwood City for a lot of this ex-gay stuff that I went through close to San Francisco, right? And I always had this idea that San Francisco was this dark, evil place, and especially the Castro. I remember one time driving through San Francisco during Pride Weekend, and at the time I didn't know anything about Pride. I didn't know anything about the gay community except what I had been told. that It was bad and dark and promiscuous and dysfunctional and sick and twisted. And, and I remember driving and seeing the gay Pride flags and this hullabaloo over there and being like oh no oh no don't look don't be tempted you know I kind of like turned my eyes away and kept driving and uh and now I kind of laugh at that because I have experienced some life in the Castro mm -hmm. and some friends and, and I just go this is like a lovely uh community of people who really have such good intentions and love and acceptance and there's a lot of like joy and goodness there mm -hmm. yeah there's dysfunction yes there's promiscuity yes there's all kinds of as there problems. are in heterosexual communities yes and maybe even <laughs> disproportionately i can sure. admit that it's not popular to admit but i can admit it but i will say i think a lot of that is driven by the mm. oppression driven by the marginalization i think mm. it's interesting that the christian community drives us into the shadows and mm. then shames us for being in the shadows mm, interesting i think that's really powerful Whoa. and important they drive us into the shadows and then they shame us for being there wow um but yeah, so, and, and like to see God in a gay bar in the Castro, people are like, what? They just, that blows their minds. But I have experienced that. And I cannot tell you the number of conversations How? I have had. Well, I mean, like, I, so when I first came out, I joined the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. Oh, yeah. I mean, I am coming out, baby. <laughs> so, like, I, I'm coming out. <laughs> yes. It was so fun. But honestly, like, a friend of mine, Rebecca Miller, said, you should join the, the Gay Men's Chorus because it would be something that, like it'd be a, a crash course in gay community, right? You're all there not to date each other, but to do something fun together regularly, to focus on music. You get to know people over time. And it was a great, I'm so glad I did, because that actually happened for me. Here I was suddenly thrust into 300 gay men of all different sizes and shapes and types and genders and ethnicities. And it was just really, really something else um, and scary and exciting and all that. But um, but as part of that, I would come down on Monday nights and do the... Matt can sing, by the way, you guys. If you don't know Matt, <laughs> listeners, strangers to the podcast, <laughs> Matt can sing. Look him up on Spotify. We'll get to that at the end. I just wanted to point that out. Thank you. Um, yeah, so we would go... Like, I would come down from 7 to 10. We'd have practice on Monday nights. And then a lot of us would go out to the Castro for karaoke afterwards. Oh, it's so funny. And I felt so, like, included and loved. These 20 and 30-something, you know, gay men are, like loving me and welcoming me into their community and I felt like such a oddball like this strange duck you know in their community but they loved me and welcomed me and and I would have lots of conversations about my life and my past and my vocation and my faith that has not like my faith has definitely changed but mm -hmm. I still do have a faith in Christ I still do believe that I am somehow connected with God through Jesus I'm experiencing that so so I have those conversations with mm -hmm. gay people who either have left the faith entirely, never had it, or still struggle to hold on to it. Just the other day, there, we have a gay mixer that happens in Santa Rosa, um, a gay mixer, <laughs> like once a month. It's really fun. And and we often, at the end of it, we all stand in a circle and say our names and what we do. And, and I felt compelled that day to, to say, I have a, a real 
um, passion for the intersection between the LGBTQ community and faith, like, and Jesus. And, and I, I like to explore that. And one girl was across the circle from me, like nodding and like mm. making eye contact. And so afterwards we sat and talked for an hour, there was mm. tears, there were hugs. She says, I can't, I'm so thankful. And like, she grew up in like the nineties in youth group. Right. And she thought she had to walk away from all that. She mm. thought she had to leave it all behind. And we've met three or four times since then for coffee. And we're talking about trying to create a safe space for gay people in Sonoma County to talk about their faith and to kind of like have a, a neutral place where That's we can cool. talk about that. So I, I do continue to experience God in the gay community. And I remember this is, this was a little like people will raise their eyebrows at this, but I had the very first guy that I kind of dated and, and I fell in love with him, honestly. And it was the first like love relationship I had ever had with a man. And this was, I don't know, about a year ago now, but I'll never forget. And this may, people will be like, well, but, but, being in his arms, being in a, um, a loving embrace with him. I remember having this feeling of peace, like, oh my gosh, I am being loved and known as I am in a way that feels right and natural for me for the first time in my life. And it, it makes me sad to think about that. I didn't have that with the woman who gave so much of her life to me for all those years. But it was also really affirming, like to go, oh my gosh, look, I'm being true and honest and bringing my whole self to this relationship and receiving, you know, from him. And it just felt so like I was, I felt like I was fully myself mm. in a relationship for the first time in my life. And out of the shadows. Yeah. Yeah. And like not hiding. And, mm -hmm. and that's a place where I believe I experienced God. Mm. I do even though that's so like outside the box for people mm -hmm. and they'll think it's weird or gross. I don't know. But to me, I was, I was experiencing God in that cool. embrace. Well, thank you for sharing your stories with us. I definitely want to have you back. Uh, I'm still that last phrase you said about how we could be about anyone, but in regards to the gay community, we drive people to the shadows and then we shame them for being there. That's a really powerful thing to think about whether it's our friends or our kids or our fellow Christians in any way, when someone comes to you with something, do we drive people to the shadows and then do we shame them for being there? That is something to linger in. Let's find the sacred and the strange in every way, in any way. I hope this conversation has encouraged you. I encourage you to find me on social media at Tony Gapastone, G-A-P-A-S-T-I-O-N-E and uh, hashtag Holy Cannoli podcast to comment on this. And Matt, I know you love Twitter and I all the social. <laughs> so where can people find you? You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, Matt Nightingale, M-A-T-T-N-I-G-H-T-I-N-G-A-L-E. Um, I'm on YouTube. You can hear me sing on YouTube. Uh, he sang at my wedding. He sang the <laughs> national anthem multiple times at the but Giants the 49ers, game. 49ers. 49ers, yeah. oh, 49ers not Giants. Uh, okay. uh, 49ers. And look up the TED Talk called... Uh, Choosing Gratitude and Hope. Choosing Gratitude and Hope. Thanks, yeah. Matt. Yep. Holy cannoli. You can post questions or suggest topics for the podcast on our Holy Cannoli Facebook page or use the hashtag Holy Cannoli Podcast on Twitter and we might read your question or suggestion on air. Thanks for listening to Holy Cannoli. If you liked my dad's podcast, please subscribe, give it a review, and share it with someone you think would be encouraged by it. Thanks for listening to Holy Cannoli.